This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our monthly Bright Focus chat presented by the Bright Focus Foundation. My name is Guy Eakin. I'm the Vice President for Scientific Affairs at Bright Focus. So today I'd like to welcome our speaker, Dr. Prithu Metu, who is an ophthalmologist who treats people with diseases such as macular degeneration, and he does this at the prestigious Duke University Eye Center. So Dr. Metu is also a Bright Focus-funded researcher working to understand how the immune system makes wet macular degeneration possibly worse. So Dr. Dr. Metu, thank you so much for joining us from North Carolina today. Well, Guy, thank you very much for having me, and um, and and thanks to you and, and to Bright Focus. Um, and uh, it's uh, quite a delight to be with you and, and to be able to speak to um, everyone who's with us on the call today. Well, absolutely. Well, before we get to that call, I'd like to mention that if you have a question you'd like to ask Dr. Metu at any time during today's call, please press star three to submit your question to an operator. And if for some reason you're disconnected from the call, the number to call back in is 877-229-8493. And you'll need to punch in an ID code. That's 112435. So that's 877-229-8493 and an ID code of 112435. So Dr. Metu, as you already know, in this chat, we cover clinical topics about AMD every couple of months, and we alternate those with lifestyle and sort of in-the-home types of information. But in case there's some new participants on the line, I was hoping you could give us some broad strokes overview of what macular degeneration is and what, as an ophthalmologist, do you see that makes you suspect that, well, you know, this eye may have macular degeneration. Okay. Sure. So, um, so age-related macular degeneration um, is a disease that affects uh, the macula, which is the central part of the retina. Um, I, what I often say is that the macula is kind of the prime real estate of the retina. It's what is responsible for allowing us to have good, fine central vision. It's the kind of thing that allows you uh, to thread a needle or uh, to, to focus and, and see detail um, when um, when reading or when, when trying to do uh, any kind of fine detail work. And that's contrasted to peripheral vision, which is kind of the side vision. In macular degeneration, what happens is that over time, uh, patients can um, initially develop some visual disturbances. Uh, sometimes they say, I see a blurry spot in the vision or things look a little bit distorted or um, uh, uh, un fuzzy or unclear. And then over time, um, the, those symptoms can worsen to actually result in frank loss of central vision. So uh, the kinds of symptoms that patients may initially present with are, essentially, are, are, are really, they may come in saying, well, you know, when I'm reading, there's a spot that, that drops out. I'm not able to see all those letters. Um, or when I'm when I cover one eye, um, the the eye that I'm looking through, it looks like um, things are just distorted, or there's a dark spot right in the center. And those are the symptoms that make us think that there could be something going on in the macula, um, which in patients who are um, ages 60 and older, oftentimes um, can be due to age-related macular degeneration. Well, uh, in some of our prior discussions, you mentioned that there might be some symptoms you might not notice and that there might be uh, might be things that when you talk to your patient and you prompt them, say, well, have you seen something in this area? They might say, oh, yeah, you know, come to think of I had. You know, what, what did you mean by that? 
Yeah, th- yeah thank you for for um, for mentioning that. Um, when in talking um, with patients, one of the things that we that we notice as we as we um, uh, begin to to understand more about uh, their disease is that they they oftentimes do um, uh, have kind of symptoms that uh, that. May, they may not always notice at first, and and um, that can be. They may say, you know, well, I, when I walk in a restaurant and uh, it's um, when, I, when I'm in a restaurant when I, and I'm trying to read a menu, uh, I'm not able to to see as well um, because of the, unless I have the, the right kind of lighting, or if I'm outside and I walk into a, uh, I'm outside and it's bright, and I and I walk into walk inside, I have trouble adjusting uh, or uh, adjusting to the lower light conditions. Um, or uh, perhaps when they're when they're reading something, um, they have uh, difficulty with just trying to see, um, trying to read when there's not a sufficient contrast uh, between the background and the letters. And so, these are some of the more um, kind of subtle visual symptoms that then that can appear early, um, which can also be caused by macular degeneration. Um, these are uh, these are things that. Um, uh, it can be very frustrating because oftentimes our when we are checking the vision in the clinic um, the, or when we um, are just checking kind of regular measures of, of vision function, uh, those the vision may be quite good, but yet symptomatically uh, these um, uh, these difficulties may still be uh, may, uh, these um, these these problems with vision may still present quite a challenge to, to our patients. So, so thank you for sharing that. So as we've talked a little bit about the introduction of what macular degeneration is, the theme for today is I have macular degeneration. So now what? So could you talk about for someone who's newly diagnosed, what what are the expectations around a timeline for progression and what does progression look like to a uh, to a patient? So um in terms of um, the question, now what? Um, I think that um, when you first get that diagnosis, uh, it can be um, um, a quite a challenging time uh, because uh, you, you hear the term macular degeneration and you think, gosh, I'm, I'm going to lose my vision. Well, I, I think um, the, the reality is, is that um, that's uh, it, it, the disease is one that's a... Um, the disease that that in which vision changes if, um, typically uh, are, are gradually over time. Um, there's really two forms of the disease. There's everybody starts out with dry macular degeneration, and that's um, characterized by um, deposits that form underneath the macula called drusen. And in the earliest forms. Um, there may be the, the kinds of subtle visual com- complaints that I mentioned, um, or uh, for some patients, they may not notice uh, much in the, many changes at all with their vision. As dry macular degeneration can progress, that's when some of these um, more specific um, symptoms can occur, so blind spots, distortions, etc. Anytime um, during dry, uh, a patient can actually um, convert or progress to wet macular degeneration. And when that happens, there's usually a more remarkable shift in the vision. So um, I mentioned for patients who have dry, their vision changes are typically gradual. 
when wet macular degeneration occurs, typically patients experience a sudden change in the vision. So um, they wake up one morning and they notice that there's a dark spot that they hadn't appreciated before. And that's typically because uh, there's a new abnormal blood vessel that's grown underneath the macula. And that blood vessel can actually leak fluid, bleed, or scar. And it's the, it's the activity of that abnormal blood vessel that can actually uh, compromise vision and, and affect and create a, uh, a form of relative central vision loss. When, and so, when, when something can come up as, uh, as soon as you say overnight, for, for your patients that have either a, a dry form or the wet form, is there a typical frequency that you ask them to come in for a, for a visit, for a checkup on, beyond their home monitoring? So um, for patients who have dry, um, what we what we typically uh, recommend is that they um, come in um, first diagnosis that they come in at least every six months, uh, and we're talking about the early form of dry macular degeneration. Um, and then in, in the intervals between those visits, uh, we typically recommend that that patients. Um, do a form of home monitoring with with what's called an Amsler grid. Uh, I'm sure many on the call have, have heard have heard the have heard about it or, or actively using it. And it's a grid that allows um, the individual to uh, test each eye individually and look for any um, signs that that there may be a, 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 a focus of distortion or a focus that of um, uh, that's actually dropped out of their vision and, and detect any changes. Uh, and there have been some more recent developments for for home monitoring, um, uh, which we could potentially talk about. But uh, but those um, there, there, some of these more recent technologies, such as the 4C home device, um, allow us to potentially pick up um, uh, changes in the disease at at the earliest possible point. We we typically say for patients who do note changes, is that uh, that they should call to the office to try to schedule an urgent appointment and and um and and check to see if there has been any change in their disease. And I usually counsel my patients that I'd rather have a false alarm uh than than to potentially miss a change that that we could potentially um uh address sooner. Um for wet macular regeneration it's a little bit different because once that's uh, diagnosed um fortunately we do have treatments and um so visits to the office then become uh, more frequent uh, to 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 treat uh, the the condition and uh, to monitor um, uh, the response to treatment. So you mentioned the for home monitoring. You mentioned that Amsler grid, uh, which certainly, if anybody hasn't heard of an Amsler grid, they're welcome to come onto our website or call us at one eight hundred four three seven two four two three, and we'd be happy to get one to you. You also mentioned the four C home monitoring device and. We have some information that we'd be happy to supply you uh, at that same telephone number, 800-437-2423. But do you mind telling us about the advances in, in home monitoring? Sure. So, uh, and this is actually fairly recent, but um, um, the the um, uh, manufacturers of the device, um, um, they actually partnered with the um, the team that was studying the AREDS-2 um uh, vitamin supplement to look at patients with dry macular degeneration and see whether their uh, monitoring device could actually uh, detect um, 
disease earlier, and and some of the the findings, some of their findings that that were recently published suggest that you know that they that patients who were being monitored at home were able to have their disease detected earlier than those um, who were just doing uh, the typical standard of care with the Amsler grid. That's important because what we know is that the best predictor of vision for patients with wet macular degeneration is the um, the vision at the time of their diagnosis. So generally speaking, patients who, re- who have good vision at the time that their disease is diagnosed, if they're promptly treated, can retain that good vision. Uh, once the vision decreases, um, particularly when it decreases to lower levels, it's harder to reverse that. So uh, there is utility in, in being able to detect it accurately, but more importantly, detect it early. Thank you. I, so this is actually just hot off the presses in that uh, the, the availability of these devices. So how would, how would you engage your doctor in, in finding out if it's something that is appropriate for your own visual conditions? So um, it's a good question to ask um, the doctor, and it's it's typically it can vary from from practice to practice or doctor to doctor, but it's typically a um, uh, device that um, can be prescribed by, uh, in theory, could be prescribed by, by any um, ophthalmologist, um, but it, it typically um, is prescribed by uh, someone who has a focus in, in retinal diseases. Um, with with this uh, prescription, there's then an interaction with um, um, Notal Vision, uh, which is the company that makes the device, and uh, they can essentially set the the patient up with um, uh, the device itself, which is which is something that is kept at home. It's typically um, connected to a um, computer or or to a, a line that would allow a communication from the home to a central kind of monitoring uh, service. And uh, the central monitoring service is able to, uh, without getting into too much detail, the central monitoring service is able to take information from the patient's um, home screen, which involves basically interacting with the device, uh, to, to look for patterns that would suggest a change. And once, once, if there is such a pattern, the monitoring service then alerts the, the doctor, um, the patient's doctor, uh, and, and, and the patient as well, uh, to, to try to come in, uh, to get, to get checked. And, um, so this is something that, uh, is, is generally pr- pretty well known by most retina specialists, um, as far as, um, um, one of the issues that, that, um, that, are still being worked out is, you know, how to, um, wh- whether that would be covered by insurance or, or, or versus, you know, what, what would need to be paid out of pocket. But that's something that may vary a little bit based upon what, what area of the country you live in or what uh, type of insurance coverage you have and that sort of thing. Thank you. So I might shift gears a little bit and we're talking a little bit about people who may uh, be more recent, uh, recently diagnosed with the disease. And certainly on this call, as well as in your practice, you have a lot of people who have had the disease for many, many years. So what does now what mean for them? And how, how do you approach these patients in, in your own practice? So um, when, when patients first get the diagnosis, um, 
there's a, as you might imagine, there's a variety of responses. Uh, many people have have heard about the disease. They may have had a family family member or relative who um, has had the disease, and and um, oftentimes their experience or what they think they may be experiencing is informed by that. So often here we often hear the question, you know, am I going to go blind? Um, and if so, is you know, is that going to happen tomorrow? And um, the first thing really is to understand that, you know, every patient's experience is different. Uh, some patients um, um, have a, a very uh, mild course in terms of never having significant visual changes, and uh, and then some uh, can have a more rapid course. And and the key is for for the patient and also. Uh, Myself as a as the physician to understand that patient's individual disease. Um, what what we typically do is try to um, one you know go over some of the the key components of the disease, but also uh, to to really get a get a sense of where they are in under in in understanding how it might impact them and helping them. Um, cope with that, and here I, I can't stress enough the the, the importance of, of having a good support system with family and and um, friends and, and others in the community that can that can provide that support. And then at that point, it's really about um, you know providing education and and uh, addressing the concerns to to um, to kind of get them up to speed about you know what what could happen from here and 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 um, what to expect. Thank you. I, we do have questions coming in, but I want to give everyone a reminder that if you press star three, you can submit a question to Dr. Metu. It'll take you offline for a few minutes where you'll talk to one of our operators and then you'll rejoin the call. But before we move into that question and answer portion of the chat, Dr. Metu, can I, can I ask you to talk a little bit about the, the future of treatments? And so what, what's on the horizon for macular degeneration as a, as a pharmaceutical? And, you know, as an eye care provider, what, what in particular are you looking forward to? Well, that's a great question. So um, I'll start by just talking about dry macular degeneration because um, that's currently um, the form of the disease that we don't really have effective treatments for. Uh, we're, we're at the moment really restricted to uh, the um, the vitamins. Um, I think that there are a number of promising um, um, types of treatments on the horizon uh, that uh, that. Um, some of which are currently uh, in tri clinical trials and some of which um, may be coming into clinical trials soon. Um, I'll, I'll highlight a few of those. Um, what we know right now is currently in trial is um, a, um, a type of drug that, that um, um, blocks a portion of um, the, the immune response. And um, that that drug is currently in um, the late phase clinical trial, phase three, uh, and it's it's ongoing uh, currently uh, at, at various sites throughout the country. It's a drug made by um, uh, it's a potential drug made by the company Genentech, and uh, th that type of treatment involves injecting medications into the eye, much as uh, the medications that we inject. The same same approach, uh, different drug, but same approach as what we what we do for wet macular degeneration. Does that um, does that uh, does that drug have a human understandable name yet? Is that something that we can give, listen for in the news? Uh, 
Not yet, but uh, but you might hear it as a type of complement inhibitor. So there, there's been a lot of interest in understanding the complement system, which is one aspect of the immune system. Uh, but but there's some thought that um, uh, the complement uh, that a highly activated complement system may contribute to uh, macular degeneration. So this is a drug that's that's designed to kind of kind of block that aspect of the immune system within the retina and see if it can slow the progression of dry macular degeneration. Um, of course, but, Dr. Metu goes on to some of the other some of the other things that are on the horizon. I do want to remind people, we will have a transcript. And so if there are words that you're hearing in the course of this conversation that you are having a hard time understanding or would like to see in print, uh, give us a week or two. And if you call in at 1-800-437-2423 or look on brightfocus.org, we'll get a, uh, we'll get a transcript uh, up for you. So, Dr. Metu, anything else on the horizon for for therapies for macular yeah, so degeneration? There's also some interest in, um, and we this is a question I, I hear a lot from my patients, but there's also some interest in uh, stem cells. Um, they're, they're, and so that's received a lot of attention. There are several companies right now that are trying to develop stem cell-based treatments to uh, replace um, a retina that's um, that that's lost over the course of the disease. Um, I think we're still a few years away from from seeing how that pans, how well that approach will pan out. Um, though um, there's kind of a twist on that um, approach, which is to try to inject cells that not are going to replace the tissue we lost, but actually will boost the existing tissue and try to preserve uh, uh, what's there, what the preserve tissue uh, and keep it from from um, dying. Uh, as, as a part of the disease, and I think that that may actually bear some promise. And so there's some clinical trials uh, that are being uh, there's there's an early phase that was completed for that, and there's some uh, continuing clinical trials that are that are under development as part of that as well. Well, I'd, I'd like to segue into the question and answer portion of the call and ask a few questions on the topic of research that's been submitted by our audience members. But first, a reminder, you can ask a question by pressing star three. And if you're disconnected from the call, the number to call back in is 877-229-8493. And you'll need that ID code of 112435. So we we have a bunch of questions coming in. And one of the ones that's most frequent uh, is Probably, probably summarized by uh, Ken from New York, who's asking how unusual how unusual it is for the condition, you know, being AMD, to develop in one eye and not the other. So, is it possible to have AMD in one eye and and not the other, or at different stages? It's certainly possible um, to to have um, AMD in, in one eye, and not the other. Though not um, not common for that to remain the case um, over the course of one's life. Uh, what we see typically is that, um, uh, or what we see not infrequently, I should say, is that one eye may develop the disease earlier than the other, and so they may be at different stages. Uh, it, along those lines, it's not unusual to have one eye with the dry form of the disease and the other eye uh, to develop wet, and for that to remain the case uh, for, uh, for several for several years. Um, uh, before and, and, some, and in some cases, some of those patients don't actually see the conversion to wet in, in the other eye. Um, there's about a 10% risk per, for patients who have wet macular degeneration in one eye. There's about a 10% uh, per year risk of developing wet macular degeneration in the in the um, in the uh, unaffected uh, dry eye. 
Well, thank you. So I hope that I, I hope that helps those callers. We have a, a question, a couple questions from callers in in Idaho and Chicago asking what what causes the disease? No one in their family has ever been diagnosed with AMD. Is it genetic? Very good question. Um, so um, there's a there's debate actually among doctors and scientists about the causes. Um, what we believe, um, uh, and, and I'm involved with a research group um, here at Duke's uh, who are studying the disease. But what we believe is that the disease is a disease of um, the environment, and particularly of uh, Western society. So. Um, it, it's we what we believe is it's the, it's the cumulative exposures uh, to different things in our environment, and that can range the gamut from um, uh, certain pollutants in the air to cigarette smoke uh, to certain things in our diet, so high fat, high cholesterol diet, and so over time exposures to to, to the things that we eat and breathe um, uh, or are around uh, could um, cause injury. Uh, to uh, the macula, and as a result, uh, and the disease reflects that. Um, there's a lot of questions about the genetics of the disease, and the genetics are um, are, are um, a little different than how people classically think about genetics. Um, I oftentimes hear, well, um, well, my my mom got had the disease, and my brother had the disease. Uh, does that mean that I'm going to get the disease too? Well, the disease isn't really passed along um, in that in in the typical genetic fashion. But what we think is is that there can some there can be genetic factors that change our susceptibility. So uh, what that how that translates is that it may be that um, genes it, when people have certain types of genes that they see the onset of that disease sooner. Uh, and what we know to be true is that as, as we look across the population, as you look at the older groups in the population from 70s, people in their 70s, people in their 80s, and people in their 90s, the relative prevalence or the, or the relative percentage of people who have the disease goes up. So it, 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 there's some component of what we're exposed to in the environment, um, and then there can be some susceptibility factors in our genes that can modulate uh, when and if we get that disease. Thank you. Of course, we we hear all the time that smoking is one of those factors in our environment that, that greatly contribute to to macular degeneration. So, our our talking points always uh, always. Note that the advice out there in the medical community is to uh, is to avoid smoking. Yeah, uh, I completely Ida, agree with that. So uh, Ida from New York is asking. She she has wet macular degeneration and is receiving injections, and is wondering, you know, now that her leakage has been stabilized, uh, how important is it to continue the injections? So how how how, how long should she continue going to the doctor with? or how might her how might her treatment profile change well very good question so um, I'll start by with the caveat that every patient's experience is different but that being said what we know in general is that uh, this is a disease that that requires treatment for life and so that's that's something that um, uh, I tell uh, um, my patients um, 
if we look at the studies, um, most of the studies that have studied the drugs are only one to two year studies. And the reality is, is that this is a disease um, that goes well beyond that. And so all, uh, all of the studies that have looked at um, how people do over time show that as, as the frequency of treatment drops off or if people stop treatment, whatever vision was gained with the, during the initial period can gradually dwindle over time. So uh, for the vast majority of patients, they need continued treatment. It may not be every month. Um, it, it may be less frequent than that. But for the vast majority of patients, they need continued treatment for life. Um, there are a few exceptions to that. There are some patients where the disease can go quiet and dormant, and and uh, they do okay without treatment. But that's that's a that's pretty rare. It's it's um, probably certainly less than ten percent, maybe maybe even fewer than that. We have a couple questions about about dry macular degeneration and the and essentially the the Areds supplements. So we have a, a caller from Connecticut and and a caller from my home state of Kentucky uh, who submitted questions asking asking what can be done to help me with dry AMD. Um, is there anything? out there beyond the supplements and uh our caller from Connecticut is asking is 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 there are there supplements to layer on top of the supplements uh, so is there anything she should be taking with the areds uh you know in terms of other vitamins or even she mentions kale and you know if we're if we're trying to eat more nutritiously is there a special way to be cooking you know things like kale very good question so um the um kind of the the sort the short sort of general answer as 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 it relates to um what's been studied is that the only um proven uh supplement um to to have a a beneficial effect in in slowing the the, the disease progression is the areds vitamins and so uh you, you typically see that at the at the supermarket or the drugstore as Occuvite um, or, or a variation of that. Um, and uh, now it, with the AREDS2, there have been some um, additions to that with lutein and omega-3 fatty acids. And I typically tell patients that um, th that's, those are with macular degeneration. That that's a good supplement to be on, provided that there um, uh, there's nothing in the in the Areds vitamin that their medical doctor uh, wouldn't object to because of some other medical uh, condition. Um, as far as other supplements or other things to do, there's no proven supplements. Though I do have a number of patients who who um, uh, are very uh, motivated to, uh, to take supplements they think may have antioxidant effects. Uh, I, I typically tell them that um, for, for most part that, that certainly wouldn't hurt, and it might help. We don't know. Uh, we, the studies haven't haven't really been done on that. Um, more generally, with diet, I think green leafy vegetables are excellent. Are excellent. Kale is a great choice. Uh, spinach, uh, f fresh uh, vegetables are are particularly good. Um, so uh, you know a lot of fresh salads. Um, uh, if if you had to if you had to think about different styles of cooking, uh, there's some thought that you get retention of nutrients there. Uh, but again, that th these are things that are more sort of subtle, nuanced uh, things. And I think if you're if you have that attention to your diet and and what you're what you're taking, uh, that's that's already uh, half the battle. 
Well, they, I, I think these questions kind of hit on the the you know the, the the scarcity of options within dry AMD and and Trula from Idaho is writing in to ask us. Uh, it seems that wet macular degeneration has more medical studies or advancement than dry. And she asked, is that true or is that just perception? And if if it is, what, is there a reason for that? Um, very good question. It, that is true. It's a true statement. Um, you know, we do have um, uh, a series of, of a class of, of treatments called um, uh, anti-VEGF or VEGF. That's the molecule that we think is a key driver of wet macular degeneration. But we have drugs that block that molecule that are, are quite effective for the wet form of the disease. Uh, we don't have um, good medical treatments for dry macular degeneration. Um, the reasons for that are, are complex, but I'll try to simplify by, by saying that um, we were very fortunate based upon the work of, of pioneers in the field to, to get a better understanding of, of, the, of the, um, the factors that drive wet macular degeneration. And uh, there was a uh, recognition that this molecule VEGF or VEGF was a key driver of the wet form of the disease. And um, we've we've had those drugs now for about 10 years, and uh, it has really transformed. Um, been a really a, 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 it's been a transformative treatment for patients with the disease because prior to that, um, patients with the disease were almost doomed to losing their center central vision, and now we have an op opportunity to preserve it in many cases and perhaps boost it. Um, for dry macular degeneration. Um, our limitations of treatment have just related to the fact that we haven't had as strong of an understanding of what drives the disease. But I think that's improving. And I think that um, as our knowledge there continues to improve, I think we're going to see more and more um, uh, um, drugs that are being tested in the in clinical trials. And, and from there, I think uh, w within... Within the next five, uh, five may be optimistic, but within the next five, ten years, uh, I would, I would, I would not be surprised to see one of the things that that uh, that does, that is in clinical trials, uh, show some benefit for patients and 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 give a, give uh, some some hope and promise uh, to people who are affected with the disease. It sounds like you're saying that the the toehold that that was necessary to get some understanding about dry macular degeneration only recently been found. And you mentioned, for instance, the complement system, whereas the wet macular degeneration they've had, they've knowledge of this VEGF molecule for, for many, many years. Is that, is that fair to say? That's absolutely fair. I think, I think there's a lead time from the moment you'd make a discovery uh, about a potential drug target to seeing that drug in the clinic. And I think that lead time is, um, varies, but it's probably at least 10 years. So uh, I think that was the case for, um, for the, the drugs for wet macular degeneration. And we're, we're in that lead time period right now. So uh, it's an exciting time because there, there are a number of promising targets and a number of p uh, promising options that, are, that were being studied. And so um, we're looking forward to see um, what, um, what bears out from, from, from these efforts. Well, we may have time for, for two more questions. And so we have a, have a caller in who's asking that asking about uh, an eye that she has that has dry AMD and, and that eye keeps watering. And she says she's currently taking drops, but they don't seem to be helping. So I, I know this is a frequent concern, but, uh, but are these related conditions or is this probably just coincidence? Um, I, I think it's 
likely to be unrelated. Um, uh, I think that um, these things tend to these things are not um, infrequently coincident um, because um, dry eye is also uh, dry eye essentially affects the surface of the eye, whereas dry macular degeneration, completely different disease, uh, affects the the retinal tissue in the back of the eye. But these things. These diseases both occur in 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 older patients, and so it's not uncommon um, to have for someone to have macular degeneration, um, and also to be afflicted with with dry eye. Um, and um, that is a little bit beyond the scope of what we're talking about here. But I would encourage um, uh, those individuals who are affected with both to talk to their doctors about um, you know what what effective treatment options um, would would be available for dry eye. It seems a little. Um, uh, counterintuitive because people think, well, my eyes dry. Why, why should it be watering? But watering is typically a reflex response of the eye um, to dryness. Well, I think uh, Connie from Michigan may have the may have the last question of the day, and and she's asking if there's behaviors that might speed up the progression. Now we talk about behaviors that might slow down the progression of the disease, but she asks if excessive use of the eye with macular degeneration and maybe things like, you know, like reading uh, might speed up the progression and, uh, you know, will, will other things like particular glasses, prism glasses, for instance, be, be helpful? Very good question. So, um, to the best of my knowledge, um, there aren't specific kind of u- eye usage behaviors that would speed up the disease. It's typically kind of other behavior, other modifiable behaviors like we were talking about before, like smoking, most especially. Uh, but smoking and diet and 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 those sorts of um, risk factors that can change the 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 rate of disease progression. But using the eye, or reading, or uh, just general day-to-day activities don't um, typically affect the disease. Um, and I think there may have been a second part to the question. I, I, uh, well, I apologize she, if I missed it. She had asked about uh, specific glasses and whether or not they oh, might yes. be able to help. So these were prism glasses in her case, but uh, are, there, are, are there glasses, are there devices like that that may help people with macular degeneration? So um, in some cases, yes. Um, so um, as medical doctors, we're um, uh, very focused on treating the disease and trying to, or treating and monitoring the disease um, and, and trying to intervene on the disease process when we can. But there's a whole other um, uh, kind of aspect of eye care, which is about um, maximizing visual function. And um, within that realm are a whole host of visual aid devices, and sometimes that can include um, uh, glasses with certain types of prisms. Uh, it just depends on, on the need of the individual patient. Um, but there are specialists who specialize in vision rehab and low vision, uh, many of whom have formal uh, optometric or ophthalmic training, uh, and uh, their whole focus is on trying to maximize the vision that the patient has to optimize their function. And so for many patients with macular degeneration, seeing one of those types of specialists, uh, again, might be termed a low vision specialist or a vision rehab specialist, seeing one of those individuals um, can be quite beneficial and complementary to seeing uh, the, um, the specialist who's taking care of their disease. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Matu, for for all the time you've taken to speak with us today. I'd like to thank everyone who joined the call and asked us questions. 
I mentioned earlier, we'll have a transcript here in about a week. And so you can find that either on our website or you can call in at 1-800-437-2423 to order a print transcript. But before we conclude, I'd like to ask, a, uh, ask everybody a question and you can use your phone to send us a response. So we want to ask quite simply how you would rate this telephone chat. And if you found the chat helpful, please take a moment to press one on your phone. And if you've only found this chat somewhat helpful, please press the number two. And if you didn't find the chat helpful at all, if you're still around, please press three. But the, again, thank you, Dr. Metu, for, for talking with us today. Our next chat will be on healthy living with low vision. So a nice segue from the last question. And we encourage you to register and submit questions in advance. And we'll be sending anyone who's registered a reminder email. So if you'd like to register for that September chat right now or request any of the free materials from Bright Focus Foundations, we mentioned the magnetic Amsler grid. We also have materials about the at-home monitoring devices that we talked about in today's call. But you can stay on the line right after the call concludes and leave a message or again call us at 800-437-2423. You can always find these resources on our website at www.brightfocus.org. Again, thank you so much, Dr. Metu. You covered a ton of information. I know there are many people out there who have a lot of the answers that they've been looking for. Thank you to everyone listening on the call today. And again, if you'd like to leave a comment after the call, just stay on the line. And thank you from all of us at the Bright Focus Foundation. Have a great day. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.